So as we, as we jump into the story of, of Peter found in John 21, I want to start by, by leveling the playing field just a little bit and talking about something I think we all share. I think something we all share, something we all long for, something we all want to experience is being pursued. There's just something about people showing up for you when they don't have to. Maybe when, when life is really busy, people stopping and saying, I, I, I want to move this direction. I want to move toward you and, and slow down and spend some time with you. There's just something about people saying, of all the places that I could be right now, of all the demands, you're the most important. And I just want to sit with you. In that way, being pursued is a gift. It's not that, that when we're pursued by someone that, that we uh, earn our value, but when we're pursued by someone, we actually get a, a, a better glimpse, a better picture of our value. The, the, the father who, who sits on the side of his son's bed and says, what are you into these days? And just stops long enough to hear. The daughter who comes home from a long day of work, exhausted, but willing to pick up the phone to call her mom to say, you know what, I, I love you and I just need you to know it. The person who sits with the grieving friend, not because they have all the answers, but because no one should be alone when they're grieving. That pursuit is something we all long for. My oldest child uh, turned 13 recently, but when he was about one year old, I remember I came home from work one day and I opened the door and Abby said, Daddy's home, which I was still getting used to the ring of that. It was you know, my first kid, and so I, I loved hearing that when I came in. Uh, and Caleb had his back to me. He was playing with blocks. He was kind of banging two wooden blocks together, maybe a couple wooden blocks together. And at the sound of those words, Daddy's home, he drops the blocks, turns around, and reaches his arms out to me. And that might seem insignificant, like, oh, that's, you know, kids do that. But to me, it meant the world to me that in that moment, my son was choosing me. Over the sound of banging blocks, he was choosing me, and that just, that meant the world to me. When we're pursued by another, when we're chosen by another, we can't help but know that we matter. And God, the God who created us, he knows that. And so that's why he pursues us, even when we're not at our best. And that's what we find in John chapter 21. Here we find Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, his closest followers, the one Jesus himself named the rock, Peter. We find him sitting by a fireside after a night of fishing, having walked away from Jesus. How do we get here, though? See, when we first see Peter, when we're introduced to him, if you go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, they're by the Sea of Galilee, and Peter is fishing. That's his vocation. He's a fisherman. And Jesus walks by, and he says, follow me. And Peter does. He drops the net. He drops his fishing net, and he follows Jesus. But he drops more than that. He drops uh, his familial connection, his security in business, his, his community. He drops that as well. He leaves everything to follow Jesus. And so Peter was there. As Jesus was saying things that had never been heard before and doing things that had never been seen before, Peter was there. He, he was actually one of the ones handing out the fish and the bread when, when, when Jesus turns a couple of fish and, and a couple of loaves of bread into enough to feed thousands. Peter was one of the ones that was distributing it all, seeing that miracle firsthand, experiencing it. 
And because he experienced things like this, not, uh, not long after, if you just, just a couple verses afterwards, in fact, Jesus is walking on the water, which seems like an only Jesus thing to do. But Peter, so bold in his faith because he's seen so much, he's like, Jesus, if you ask me, I'll come to you on the water. And he does. He walks. So Peter walks on the water. Peter was the first one to definitively say to Jesus, he looks at him and he says, he says you're the Savior. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. I know it. But Peter was also the one that rebuked Jesus. He's the one that said, Jesus, like, you can't suffer and you can't call us to suffer. You're, you're the Messiah. You're the Savior. You're going to make everybody else suffer. In Jesus' last moments, as they're eating their last meal together, together Peter uh, says to Jesus, he's like, I don't, don't wash my feet. I don't want you to serve me. Peter also was the one who, in Jesus' last moments of agony, Jesus goes and prays, and Jesus says, Peter, will you come pray with me just as a friend? Like, I just need a friend with me because things are getting bad. And Peter falls asleep. And Peter was also there as Jesus was tried before he goes to the crucifixion, but he was at a distance. And some people are like, hey, weren't you one of his followers? Weren't you with him? And Peter says, I don't know that guy because the pressure, the risk was too much. And so now after Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, he was there when Jesus walks through the, the, the locked door in that upper room. Peter returns to the sea. He goes back to the Sea of Galilee, the very place he met Jesus. He goes back to his old life because he'd written himself out of the story. So I'm gonna read the beginning of this account starting in verse three. It's not in your bulletin, but if you have your Bible, you can open it up uh, or your phone. You can, you can look at it there as well just to give some context for, for this event, this, this restoration that we're about to, to read about together. But as I read this, keep these questions in mind. What do we do when we fall short? And what does Jesus do when we fall short? Let me start in verse three of chapter 21. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, they, the disciples, said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into a boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. And Jesus calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answer. He said, throw your net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, no ego problem with John, he's the writer here. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard it said that this is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and he'd taken it off to fish and he jumps into the water. And the other disciples followed him in the boat. They were towing the net full of fish and they weren't far from the shore, it was about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed, out of, uh, climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net wasn't torn. And Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Peter says, I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to what worked in the past because this following Jesus thing, it's not working. And the other disciples say, we'll go with you. Right? This is our natural response when we fall short or God doesn't act the way we want him to. When we fall short, it's a kind of a muscle memory that, that kicks in. Failure tends to trigger something in us. And 
So when we fall short, we, we, we have this tendency to just return to what we knew before Jesus, even if what we knew before Jesus wasn't nearly as good as what Jesus promised. So Peter answered that question, what do we do when we fall short? His answer, go back to the life you know. Go back to your old life, because I guess this Jesus stuff doesn't really matter because I failed. I guess this Jesus stuff doesn't matter because I failed. And so this guy shows up on the shore. The morning light was still dim. It was hard to make out who it was. And he says, cast your net to the other side. And I imagine for Peter, maybe all the disciples, this was a what do we have to lose moment. It's been a bad night at the end of a strange and disappointing season. Why not? And this huge catch comes in. I imagine it's a confusing scene. And then John says, I think it's the Lord. And so Peter doesn't even wait. He just jumps in. He's like, I got to go find out. And he gets to shore and it's him. Somehow it's him, it's Jesus there, resurrected, alive, fully alive, right in front of him. The grave not able to hold him back. He's standing face to face with Jesus, even though he'd walked away. I don't know if you found yourself in a place where, where maybe you came here this morning and you've just kind of given up. You've fallen short and you said, I guess this Jesus stuff doesn't really matter because following Jesus was supposed to make things better, but it isn't working. I don't think I'm any different. I'm still just who I was and I fail. And maybe you haven't physically walked away. Maybe you've just emotionally kind of checked out of the game and you've gone back to whatever life you had before Jesus. You say, well, at least I know that. But if that's you and you're here this morning and you're open to it, there's restoration available for every dramatic turn away from Jesus, but for all the subtle ones as well. See, because here's the thing. Peter wasn't prepared for Jesus. Peter didn't ask Jesus to come fishing, have a chat, but Jesus showed up anyway to offer restoration. So here's the first thing I hope we take from this morning together. The first thing from this encounter that Peter has with Jesus. Jesus' pursuit of us begins with grace. It begins with him meeting us on our turf, wherever we are, but not necessarily on our timing. He'll meet us on our turf, but not necessarily in our timing. Peter went fishing because he was disappointed. He was done, maybe reluctantly, but he was done with this whole Jesus thing, and he goes back to what he knows, and Jesus says, that's okay, we can start there. You're not too far away. If you're open to it, we can start from there. And so like Peter experienced with serving fish and bread to thousands of people, that's what Jesus does for Peter. He serves him fish and bread to remind him that he's loved. He says, come and have breakfast. And so Jesus meets Peter in this place that's comfortable, but in a way that is very, very un. Comfortable. This is where our bulletin scripture picks up. He starts to ask him these questions. He meets him right where he is, but he starts to ask these kind of questions, these difficult questions, but they're the type of questions that change a story. So starting in verse 15, Peter and Jesus have this interaction. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted to. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the type of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Jesus in this conversation keeps calling Peter Simon, son of John. Why is he doing this? Well, because names matter. Simon was his given name. Jesus had given him the name Peter or the rock. So Simon was who he was. Peter was who Jesus had called him to be. And this is how Jesus pursues us. He, he helps us see who we are. He helps us see that we're flawed and loved. He helps us see that we're not fully who we have been made to be, but we're also still very loved. See, if Jesus wants us to feel shame, and shame always leaves us stuck, maybe with some vague sense of guilt that doesn't really lead anywhere, if he wants us to feel shame, he'll just hold a mirror up to us and walk away. Here, just look into the mirror. You failed, and he'd walk away. But Jesus doesn't do that. He stands face to face, and he says, look at me. Because he wants us to see who we really are, flawed, yes, but loved. Because if we see ourselves rightly as flawed and loved and we tell the world about it, it's good news. So Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Peter responds three times, yes. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. It's a, it's a reference to Jesus himself saying, I am the good shepherd. Essentially what Jesus is, is commissioning Peter to do here is, is, is to tell the world who God is. Go tell people who God is and why that matters for them. Go show people the way to real life. In the English, this conversation reads as though maybe Jesus is repeating these questions for dramatic purposes. Maybe he's, he's really wanting to drive this mission home, and so he repeats it three times. But the reason it reads that way primarily is because in the English, we have one word for love. And so uh, I love my wife, but I also love tacos, right? Like it's just one word for those things. And I do love tacos. So, uh, <laughs> right? But there's just one word for it. There's not these levels. And so the word love has so many different kind of meanings or connotations. But in the Greek, at least in the New Testament, there are four different words for love used in the New Testament with different degrees uh, of meaning to them. And so if you read it with the, the sense of the original language, it reads very, very differently. So I'm actually going to try to do that, try to paraphrase it that way. You can look at it again in your bulletin or in your Bible, but it's going to read a little differently. I'm going to try to read it in a sense of the original language. It'll go something like this. In verse 16, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me as I have loved you? Peter responds, I love you like a brother. Jesus says, then get up care for the people around you, offer them the, the grace and the love and the purpose that I have offered to you. Invite people into what God is doing and open doors as wide as you can for people to come in and experience the love of God. A second time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me as I have loved you? Peter responds, Jesus, I wish I did, but you know I haven't because I'm not good enough. Jesus replies, get up, and care for people anyway. A third time, Simon Peter, 
Jesus says, son of John, Simon, son of John, do you love me at all? This one stung because Jesus was now lowering the bar for Peter. Peter's response, Jesus, you know me and you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus responds, that's enough to start. Look, here's the deal. I heard something like this said recently, uh, and it's so true for me. I have given Jesus countless reasons not to trust me, not to, not to use me, not to love me for that matter, but not one of those reasons has changed his mind. And if the scriptures are true, because we've all fallen short of the glory of God, we've all given Jesus countless reasons not to trust us or use us or love us for that matter but not one of those reasons has ever changed his mind. So what Jesus is inviting us to wrestle with is, are we open to meeting him or him meeting us in a place that's comfortable, but in a way that's uncomfortable? Maybe, maybe in our workplace. Maybe in some ways we escape to our workplace because we've got a little bit of control there. Everything else seems to be out of control, but at least I can put in a day's work. I've got a little bit of control there. Are we open to the idea that Jesus might ask us, would you glorify me there? Would you display my character in your workplace? Would you be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and gentle with the people around you? Would you be somebody who lifts other people up rather than push them down so you look better? Would you be open to pointing people to me in your workplace? Maybe in our home, maybe the place where we can lock the door and kind of shut the rest of the world out. Is it possible that Jesus might say, is there any chance that you would make it your job to outserve your wife or your husband here, to display my character here? Would you be willing to put down your phone to talk to your kids? Be real intentional about that so that they can know what it's like to feel pursued. With our friends, Jesus might ask us, are, are you willing to not participate in that joke that tears people down, but only speak words that build people up? On social media, where we can control the narrative, where we can give away whatever we want, or maybe we feel free to just say whatever we want, is it possible that Jesus might say, hey, where are you being loving here? Where are you being encouraging here? Where are you on mission to point people to me here? Jesus might meet you in a place that's comfortable, but in a way that is uncomfortable. He might call you back into the story that you've written yourself out of from that very comfortable place. Because when we fall short, what does Jesus do? He pursues us with grace, with forgiveness. He stands in front of us. But what's more than that is he actually offers grace on top of grace. There's good news and then there's really, really good news. This is the really, really good news. Uh, recently, I had a chance to go to an Orlando Magic game. I love going to Magic games because uh, I grew up in Indiana. I love basketball. Uh, I love supporting the local team. Uh, so I love going to Magic games. I guess I'm a glutton for pain. But I, I love going to games. And uh, for me, um, 
and I think like a lot of you, because I've seen it on Facebook, we're $15 seat people. We're the, we're the people that like, uh, you know, go on StubHub and it's like, is, any, is anything there for less than 10? Let's go get them, you know? So, uh, you know, like the, the back of the building, the actual arena is like, we're just sitting by, you know, back in the back and, and the, the players are like this big. So we end up just watching it on TV and I could have been at home in my PJs watching it, but, uh, but I watch it on that giant screen at the Amway Center. Um, and so that's how we experience the games and we love it. But this friend invited me to go to a game and I, I really liked this guy and I like spending time with him. And so was, I was really looking forward to the evening. So that invitation, he was like, tickets are on me. And I was like, man, that is, that is so kind. I don't deserve that. It's so great. Um, but he works for a company that uh, apparently they're a big deal. And they have this thing called a suite. Did you know these things existed? I didn't know these things existed. It's dangerous that I know that these things exist. Um, because where I sit, it's too small to see. It's just a blob of people. Um, so I didn't know what the, what the suite was like. But we had to take this elevator. And then there was this guy in a suit when we get off. Welcome to the Amway Center. And I'm like, thank you, sir. And so we go in. And uh, there's just food everywhere. And uh, you could just eat. Like, oh, I like the candy bar now, and I just take the candy bar and I eat it. I could just stand there and eat it, and I could just grab another one if I wanted to. I was very sick after the evening, but uh, so I was just eating all this stuff, and then, uh, and then the seats, you walk down, leather seats and cup holders and, uh, and little side tables for your free food, and uh, we were so close, we could hear the coaches during the timeout. The, I was trying to yell down, like, no, nah, I wouldn't do that, but um, so anyway, so, but it was just this incredible evening. Like, that I got invited was, was so great. But what I experienced was far more than I, than I imagined it could be. When, when Jesus pursues us, he pursues us with, with grace. We're, we're included. Because no one's fallen too far to be outside the, the grip of his grace, the reach of, of his grace. But it's grace on top of grace. We're invited into something bigger, something more than we could imagine. We're invited to accomplish something we can only accomplish with his help. Jesus asked us, do you love me? And our response so often is, I'm not good enough. Like, not like I should. And he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. We say, I don't know if I can make the marriage work. He says, feed my sheep. I don't know if I can talk to my friends about you. Feed my sheep. I don't know if I can forgive my parents for what they did. He said, feed my sheep. And we say, I would, but, but, uh, but I just walked away. And I've trusted myself and my profession and my status way more than I have you. He says, I'll be with you. Feed my sheep. Jesus says, care for people. Care for the people around you. Extend the, the love and the grace and the purpose that I've extended you. Invite people into what God is doing. Open doors as wide as you can for people to come into that love. Jesus says what I'm inviting you into, and it's what he's saying to us. He says it to Peter. He's saying it to us. What I'm inviting you into, you can't accomplish on your own, but I'll be with you. But you have to get up, and you have to get moving. So Jesus then gives him a command in verse 19. He says, follow me. And Peter would have imagined, I would have rung in his head with the first words that Jesus said to him. If you go back to Mark chapter one, and this is interesting, I think many scholars believe that Mark's gospel is just Peter kind of orating, kind of telling him his story and Mark writing it down. So it's very likely, if these scholars are accurate, that we're getting a first-hand account from Peter of the first words that Jesus said to him as he's walked by the Sea of Galilee, follow me. 
And then here at the restoration, what does Jesus do? At the Sea of Galilee, he says, follow me. The first thing he says is, come along, I choose you. And here, Jesus says, after all, come along, I still choose you. But Peter couldn't stay there and follow Jesus. That's important for us. We can't stay where we are and follow Jesus. We can't stay in that place of shame. We can't stay in that place where we're wondering, Does, is his grace enough? We can't stay in that place where we wonder if we're, we're even valuable to this thing. We can't stay in the same place and follow Jesus. We have to get up from the dim light of the fire to extend the thing that's been extended to us. We go extend the grace. And you know what? Peter did it, and it changed the world. If you read Acts chapter three, this is the birth of, of the church. This is right after this restoration at the fireside. Peter and, and John are going to the temple to worship and they pass by a guy, a, a man who, who has a disability and he has to sit outside the temple gate because he can't go in because he would have been seen as unclean. In fact, this man would have been trained to be alone and beg and not even look at people, just look down all the time, not look people in the eyes. Shame was kind of his story. So then Peter walks by this guy. He begs for some change. And then in uh, Acts chapter three, it says this, Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. But Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then Peter takes him by the right hand and he helps him up. Just like Jesus had helped him up, he helps this guy up. And instantly the man's feet and his legs were strong and he, and he jumped to his feet and he began to walk and he went with them into the temple, walking and jumping and praising God, the scriptures say. Peter undoubtedly heard in the back of his mind those words of, of Jesus, come along, I still choose you. And he says to this guy, stand up, come on, join me in the way I'm going. Join me in how I'm worshiping. Join me in how I'm celebrating. Be a part of my life. And this man with a disability who had been trained to be alone had his life turned upside down because the miracle behind the healing was the restoration being invited back in. That was the miracle. So maybe this morning you walked in to the room feeling disappointed. And if you're disappointed because God hasn't acted the way that you want him to, he hasn't come through for you, he will meet you here. And if you're here this morning and you aren't where you want to be because of your choices or somebody else's choices, he will meet you here. I need you to know there is grace for you. He invites you back into the story every time you find yourself at the fireside, every single time. Maybe you walked into the room this morning very aware of Jesus' grace that he offers you, that, he, that you know that he's pursuing you, but you find yourself just wondering what comes next. You don't know exactly how to, how to jump back into the story or jump into the story. Uh, let me say this. People will walk into my office from time to time and they'll say, I'm ready for an adventure. I'm ready for God to really invite me to do something uh, significant. And I love that. And I, so I'll ask them a little bit about their story, but I'll always end that with, with a question that was asked me a bunch of years ago. Uh, it's been so formative in my life, so I'll ask that same question. What was the last thing Jesus asked you to do? Are you doing it? 
Like, what was the very last thing? Because you can't jump over steps of faithfulness. Are you exercising love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and, and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control? Are you, are, you, are you doing those things right where you are? Are you exercising those things with the people you love and the people you dislike? Because if God has called you to be kind to the, to the cashier at Publix or to say sorry to that friend, or to show up at the family dinner at your mom's house that you know is gonna be awkward, or to study your tail off in the class, or to uh, be more understanding or more patient, or to get to know your neighbor, or to be kind to that difficult coworker. It's because he wants to invite you into the story. He wants to do something in you as much as he wants to do that for the sake of the other. Or maybe he wants you to put down that thing that, that is hurting you and killing other people so that you can pick up something far more valuable. Maybe it isn't that you haven't outright said no to Jesus. Maybe you just have been in neutral because you forgot to say yes. Maybe you accidentally wrote yourself out of this resurrection story and you're longing to be back in, but the opportunity might be right in front of you. Don't forget to join him in extending grace to the world that starts right in front of you. That's why around here we love to invite people to take next steps following Jesus. One of the things that I, I mean, it just makes my heart beat fast to, to see people take next steps following Jesus. And, and so we invite people to do things like take the step of baptism or come to partnership class or go to Newcomers Review or join a Summit Connect group or go to Africa. These aren't things to, to make us a better organization or a church doing more things. These are ways that we can invite others to know and, and, and see a God that pursues them. We engage in these things for the sake of others so that others can be helped up and others can be helped along. Let me end with this. Many of you are likely familiar with the, uh, the epic, The Odyssey by Homer. It was written in the 8th century BC. You probably had to read portions of it in high school, and if you were like me, you didn't read portions of it in high school, and so let me give you a little refresher uh, on what the Odyssey is. The Odyssey is essentially an ancient mythological epic about temptation, and this comes to a pinnacle at book 12, where uh, our hero, Odysseus, is sailing by the sirens. The sirens are these half uh, women, half birds, who sing this song that is so beautiful, so entrancing, that, uh, that, that ship captains will steer their boats towards rocks and, and the boats will be destroyed because they're trying to get toward the song uh, of the sirens. And so Odysseus really wants to hear the song of the sirens, but he also doesn't want to destroy his ship, so he comes up with this plan. He says, I'll plug the ears of my crew with wax so they can't hear the song, and I'll have them tie me to the mast of the ship, and I'll listen to the song, but they can continue to guide the ship. And so that's what they do, and he does. He hears the song, and it's so entrancing to him, he nearly tears the boat apart himself. But they do make it. They narrowly make it past the song of the sirens, and, and, and they go through but there's another ship that goes by uh, the sirens as well, and they have another tactic altogether. The other ship, as they pass by uh, Orpheus, who is on that boat, uh, pulls out a lyre, which is essentially a small harp, and he starts to play. And the song he plays is so much more beautiful than the song of the sirens. It moves them in a direction away from the sirens, and they, and they go uh, unharmed uh, and unswayed in their mission because of the beauty of that song. The temptation for us in this Christian life, in this following Jesus thing, 
might be to think that, that restoration is the grace of forgiveness and then stop there. That Jesus offers grace. He died on the cross so that we could have grace, so that we could be forgiven, and then we stop there. What that might lead us to is a life where we clench our fists and we grit our teeth right where we are and we say, I've been forgiven, so I'll just sit here and I'll avoid sinning again. That's what my life will be about. But his offer of restoration invites us to more than that. He invites us to listen to, to long for, to live into a song more beautiful and more compelling than any other, into a story more compelling and more beautiful than any other. See, this life isn't about anti-falling short. It's far more pro-living fully what we're made to. See, Peter was at that fireside, maybe believing he could have been forgiven. And Jesus did pursue him with the grace of forgiveness, but Jesus offered grace on top of grace by inviting him back into the story. So he got up, he jumped back in, and it changed the world. So what does Jesus do when we fall short? He offers grace on top of grace. So let's be people who are faithful to get up and rejoin the story as people flawed, but people loved, who've been invited to change the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love. Thank you that your grace includes us being forgiven for where we fall short, where we feel inadequate, where we've walked away, where we've written ourselves out of the story. You will forgive us for that. Your grace says so. But your grace also tells us that you invite us back in to far more than we can accomplish on our own, to be people of love and hope and goodness for the sake of the world around us. I pray that we would be people who join a story more beautiful than any other story. And any time we are uh, tempted to write ourselves out of that story, I pray that instead of looking in the mirror, we'd look at you. In Jesus' name, amen.